0: Every lap in under a minute. Every move made to matter. Every decision impacting the outcome of the race. Supercars in Perth. Every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint. May 17 to 19. Book now at Ticketek.
1: Supercars, unforgettable. Hi everyone, I'm Aaron Noonan. Welcome to the V8 Sleuth Podcast, powered by Timken, a world leader in bearings and mechanical power transmission products and services. Now this week's guest took a bit of cajoling, but we finally got him to agree and come on and tell his story, which is a bit of a turnaround for him actually when you think about it, since he's usually the one asking people to tell their stories to him. If you've watched any motorsport on Australian TV in the last two decades, from V8 Supercars to Formula One and MotoGP, I'm guaranteed to know his voice, and he's one of the nicest guys in the industry to boot. Yes, Greg Rust, Rust himself, joins us on the V8 Sleuth Podcast. Now in the first part of our chat, Rusty talks about how he went from working in banking to a career in the media his time calling Super Touring 2-Litre Touring Cars and working on the early years of Channel 10's V8 Supercars coverage and he tells a few cracking stories about Barry Sheen and Lee Diffie and we go all meta as he talks about his podcast on our podcast telling the story of how his show Rusty's Garage came to be. Stay tuned for the second part where we ask him your National Motor Racing Museum couch racer questions and he tackles our Motor Focus Top 10 Shootout. So, here we go. Buckle up and make sure that the steering wheel is firmly affixed to the column. You know what I'm talking about, Greg, because it's time to start part one of Greg Rust on the VH Loop podcast, powered by Timken. Greg Rust. He's in the house. We've tried to do this for so long. We have finally got I've you ducked here. not have, I'm you, sorry. You are like a prize <laughs> boxer that's trying to avoid getting punched in the face. I, you have successfully done it, but today you've not it. Mm. Not it. I, mm. I, I, I get very nervous about doing this stuff.
0: I've done it on a handful of occasions. You know me. My philosophy is very simple. It's about the, the drive of the team, whatever. But um, but yeah, it's nice to come along and chat about some stuff
1: from years gone by. Today. It Mm -hmm. is all about you. No.
0: (laughs) Well, mostly,
1: mostly about you. Um, We have had an amazing response to our... Uh, National Motor Racing Museum Couch Racer Questions, which cool. is basically Q&A. Lovely. Uh, late, you, you've called and pit reported many a top 10 shootout, but today you are in the top 10 shootout. Holy hell. It's our motor-focused top 10 shootout. That's coming up a little bit later, which is just fancy word association. Okay. So you will think of the first thing that my comes limited, in your brain. My limited and it, matter. <laughs> and you let it blurt out your mouth. Okay. So just do what David Reynolds does. Okay. Yeah, just let it fly. Le- left the field, turn hard right. Uh, yeah. Exactly. What could possibly go wrong? Mm-hmm. One of the things- That when we do these podcasts, and I'm sure you do it with yours, is Mm -hmm. you sit down and do some research. I know that's an amazing concept because lots of other people don't. Yes. But when I look at Wikipedia, it worries me (laughs) to think, who's doing these pages? Who's writing this stuff? For a starter, my
0: middle name is not Charles. First question was (laughs) going to be that. It is not Charles. Who put that there at why? I have no idea. Every once in a while I get a random tweet of some kind, um, you know, which I think... You know, when you, you think about that stuff, you think, oh, I wonder if that's the person who's really done it and they're trying to get a bite out of me. <laughs> Um, but, yeah, someone's had some fun with it over time. Apparently, it's Gregory Charles Rust or something at the moment. That is not my nickname, my middle name. Can you, for the record, state your full name? Paul. Gregory Paul. Okay. And so I only get Gregory if I'm in deep shit, usually <laughs>
1: usually with my wife or my mother. <laughs> Earlier in the year, um, we jump around on this podcast. I don't follow the timeline or the, yep. the chronological unfoldings because I usually find a tangent and run down it. One of the things that Jason Barguana told us on the podcast earlier in the year was how he convinced the bank to give him a loan for a race car when he told them it was for a ute. He went and showed him the ad. <laughs> did you or did you not work in a bank for a while? I did. But correct. Did you deal in lending at all? I did. Correct. Did you deal in lending to Jason Varghun or to Jason Varghun? Oh, okay, no. I, we were two out of three there. Our, I thought our,
0: our paths did cross during that period, though. Right. So, uh, basically, uh, fresh out of high school, uh, with ANZ on like a cadetship program, um, got into some uh, home loan and small business lending for did, them. Did you have a name badge? I had a name badge back then. I even it was horrific. It was yeah. horrific. I even appeared in, like, an internal staff training video for them. It's one of the first things I ever did I on, so on television. I so want to get a copy so, of this. My, my hairdo was so bad, and it was crap overacting. But anyway. Um, <laughs> Nothing's changed. No, but, but the moonlighting kind of started um, on weekends, and he would rock up to Oran Park with- I want to say a uh, a white Kingswood or something like that with a Formula V or something on the trailer, and they were real early days of him around truck racing. That was one of the first times I came across him, and I've got in uh, in the office or the garage at home. I've got a great photo of, of he and I at Oran Park. We look. So ridiculously young. I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm. I know this will shock you. I'm overdressed with a tie and trying to look trying to look professional and interviewing him on the Oran Park
1: podium and he's he's in this like plain white race suit. That were the early days. Yeah. Uh, things stepped up just yes. a little bit for both yeah. of you in yeah. the aftermath of that. So when did you break free of the banking world and, and where did probably rewind? Where did the racing bug? And this is does this feel weird that the questions you normally ask people yeah, are now uh, being asked of you? Absolutely. Um, so,
0: when I left high school, so I mean, straight away, I- Were you any good at school? Uh, I was average. Okay. Very, very, you did, very did enough very to average. get average. Yeah, right. yeah. Um, uh, some of my best mates and I went thirds in a club car. Oh, what was it? So, so it was a it was 1978 Mitsubishi Galant. Uh, we had a, a worked Sigma engine in it, 2.2, Ooh. Ooh. twin 45-mil Webers, sports exhaust with extractors, uh, a Bond roll cage, oh, which was yes. ba- back in the old days of um, – I mean, not now, not in the, the way they're constructed now. But we did a few things to make it multi-purpose. So, it had a Halder in it so we could do rally sprints. Yep. Uh, did some lap dashes at Orin Park and Amaru. I loved Amaru. Um uh, it was just a great mm. learning experience, mate. So when people talk about that now, I um, I'm a big advocate for for go and go and do that stuff. Go and get a get a license, do some club level stuff because it's it's a great rounding thing. I was dead set average, dead set average, but it, but it did to, it taught me a lot. And I did a bit of carting as well. I had a uh, a super kart, a Tony cart with an 80cc Yamaha YZ80J engine. Dad would come and crew for me. Uh, those carts you could run at Eastern Creek. Oran Park Amaru I took it to a couple of other places um, but it was great little shifter cart 80cc engine and um, and I, that, that came about through the banking one of, one of my clients at the time ran a a workshop. He had a two fifty and uh, used to run in the eighties and and the way it went, mate. Yeah.
1: So did you ever have to fill out your own loan paperwork for a car or a car? <laughs>
0: I reckon I did some of that stuff, oh. but it was approved.
1: But it was approved by someone, oh, not, okay. not not by me. Oh, I thought we were going to get something sus. The, the link. Be.
0: The link between that and commentary is uh, when I left ANZ, I went and worked for a couple of uh, boutique lenders in the city in Sydney, where I was at the time. And uh, one of them was down at Circular Quay, right on the on the waterfront. And the boss that I had at the time loved motorcycles. He would go to the Grand Prix at Phillip Island every year. And he'd heard me doing a bit of moonlighting. And uh, he said to me, you should pursue that. And so I, I had this sort of supporter in the background. And, and he kind of half put it to me. He said, mate, why don't, you, why don't you do a thing where you come and work a handful of days a week for me, you know, Tuesday to Thursday type deal, almost like a freelancer, put a bit of money in your in your back pocket and go and chase the thing on, on weekends. And I did that 12 months later, I, I virtually, I was walking into his office and he said, just go, go, go and enjoy. Like he knew that it had gone to a point where it was, you on, know, its way. It, it was on its way. There's still a lot of hard work involved. But, yeah, To and I've touched base a little bit with him in in years since. But there are a few little sliding doors moments like that, mate, where someone's been in your corner and gone, you should give that a crack.
1: We've had... Numerous people on this podcast last year and this year, and everyone has that um, turning point moment, or the, yep. the and the people who help you get there, or the the person that cracked open a door, or gave you a little opportunity, or saw a little bit of something, or pushed you in a direction, or made an introduction. There's numerous numbers of those people for everybody along the way but one of the things you've always talked about is the 96 Australian Motorcycle Grand Prix and you're smiling at me as I mention it so at that time it wasn't at Phillip Island it was actually at Eastern Creek Creek, it was about to head back to Phillip Island so at the time of course Channel 9 were you know Formula One wasn't even MotoGP then was it It was 500cc Grand Prix racing and you get the call up yeah, to work on uh, the show and I coverage with you know who's you know Daryl Eastlake's around, Barry Sheen's around, Alan Jones, Alan Jones is yeah. around. Yeah, this but, is big. T- this yeah. is big ticket. So you'd been doing Speed Week, it's a, bit, on a bit of yeah. Speed
0: Week, and and lots of PA based commentary. Mm. Um, Diff and I would do a thing where we would share jobs too. So so Lee Diffie and I are great buddies and and talk every week. Um, where did and that and
1: did that start around? This it,
0: it started probably around then, maybe a little bit earlier, maybe a year prior. Um Daryl Beatty and he are very close high school buddies, and uh Lee had been working away with dirt track motorcycle stuff and I think Daz had recommended lee he hadn 't pushed him into it but he he 'd recommended them and and uh so the connection started so um yeah, he, he would, you know, if an opportunity came up for him and he didn't want to let down someone, you, yeah, so he'd say, "Hey, Rusty, can you cover?" and vice Humble, versa. Yeah. And we would do that stuff. He would, he would come to my place, stay in the in the spare room on a fold-out bed, or vice versa. You know, I got to know his family exceptionally well. They were the, you know, the early years where you you're doing it tough and you drive long distances. I would go sometimes from I covered for him once at Ballina. Doing uh, dirt track motorcycle racing. So I drove nine odd hours from Sydney to there, called a hundred odd races over the PA, came back again. <laughs> it's one of the first times I came across Casey Stoner. I went to, yeah, right. to to Tamworth to a thing called the Akubra Nationals. Mate, if he wasn't racing, he was a little tacker, a real mm. little tacker. If he wasn't racing in five classes that that weekend, I'll give it away. And you knew, you knew even then. This kid is special. I mean, he just just hung off the motorcycle, unlike others. He did things on it that that made you realise he had, you know, a, a huge amount of talent. So yeah, they were the they were the early years. And and um, dad dad was in hydraulics. He was the managing director of a of a company with about sixty staff. My grandfather was in the rag trade, and I thought they both wanted me to go into business. Uh, not not that I professed to being a great business person. Um. And I was dead set nervous about telling Dad that I was half thinking about this media thing, and uh, I, I, he couldn't have been more supportive, mate. He said to me, I, "I don't want you to be sixty on the front porch. going if only. Mm-hmm. So go and give mm-hmm. this thing a real good crack."
1: Mm. And he had a way of getting free tickets to the races. <laughs> <Pretty much>. That's <laughs> the reason why my dad, like, we, <laughs> like me, working in motorsport, media. He That's loves it. pretty much he the way. It. Well, I was sixteen, so I needed a ride. So he gets a ticket, <laughs> I get a ride. Everyone, he's a good family Yeah. Everyone won. Um, Take me back to that 96 Grand Prix. So, what were you calling? One, or something? Uh, Super uh, Support categories yeah. mainly.
0: That was a huge weekend, mate, because a lot of the track commentary in Sydney was largely run back then by either David Tapp or the late Greg McShane. That's right. And they, they coordinated a lot of that stuff. And, and McShane said to me, I'm- um, mate, I'm busy. I'm going to introduce you to Ingrid Ropers and the guys from, I think, IMG. They're looking for someone to put together the the circuit commentary. Could you coordinate it? And uh, so, yeah, okay. So I took that on board. I'd never done anything like that before. And there's lots of learnings in, in all of that. And at the same time, I think it was Mike Williams, who was the head of sport at Channel 9 at the time, got in contact and said, we're looking for someone to do some support category stuff. I was chuffed. I thought this is a great opportunity so I went to Willoughby in Sydney back then. Wide World of Sports was in a was in a house attached to the whole Channel Line precinct. I met him. I met Daryl Eastlake, and and away it went. And um, Eastlake was exceptional to me. I wanted was, to it was, ask it was, you about. Yeah, it was a very brief uh, encounter with him. In many ways, uh, Lee Diffie stayed in touch with him uh, um, right the way through. But but. Uh, Big Daz, he, I can remember he goes, Hey, pal, come in. Uh, you can, you can use my microphone and, uh, my headset. And I'm thinking far out. I'm sitting in Daryl Eastlake's chair here to call these support races. Now well, you better do a sound check, pal. So, so I put the, <laughs> I put the, I put the headphones on and, um, I, mate, I, I nearly went deaf. It was no no wonder he he was booming in that commentary style that was very unique to him back then, because his uh, his effects were so loud in the ear. I, I had to I had to turn it down. It was it was ears. Yeah. yeah. But, so I got to meet Baz for the first time. Crazily, Alan Jones and I worked together for the first time that weekend, and then years later we would end up mm-hmm. together at Channel Ten. Mm-hmm. So he and I did supercuts. And I think the late Ken Wooten and I did um, did the 250 prodies and things like that. So yeah, it was a nice, it was a great intro to that whole world and how it operated with
1: producers and just how next level TV mm. land was. Probably the first thing that a lot of our listeners will remember. The the, the really in depth ones might remember that. They might also remember Speedweek, but it's probably Super Touring yep. that really started to kick things along. So. Yep. Very different media world back then to what we have now where everything's live and everything's accessible and you've yep. got Twitter for the latest news and all sorts of things. In those days, not even V8 Supercars was live yep. when it went to 10 Super touring was a week later, post-produced, so it was cut together and and, and edited really well by people who we still work with, yep. um, the Jardines, Tim yep. and Fran Jardine, and their their team that were involved in all of that. And that's probably where I think a lot of people first started to see you in the chambray shirts and the, <laughs> and the bad nineteen ninety seven type styling. But tell me about that super touring era because it was a great little era of it was a a time when V8 supercars were starting to grow and evolve, Toledo was doing its thing. Yes, there was the wars and the Bathurst yep. dramas and and all that sort of stuff. But that's kind of the platform that you sprungboard yep. from with that style of racing. I,
0: I, I wince now when I look back at some of that
1: stuff. I, <laughs> I really, I, really I know you, do. I know, Don't you, you do. I know you
0: do. I will be for you, whatever it takes, mate. Whatever it takes in terms yeah, of invoice. invoice, invoice, yeah. <laughs> um, a great opportunity. And, and was, was
1: that through because Diffie had been doing it he, and moved on?
0: He couldn't, um you know, just say, hi, this bloke. But I think he, in the background he, he certainly did say, at least consider this guy. So I can vividly recall going to meet now the late mike Ordsent over at um, over at channel 10 who was the head of sports he was the head of sports at the sport time, time. Yep. and and he had i'd put together a, a, a folder and some photos and a and a CV of go.
1: sorts yeah a vhs as well maybe and, and yeah that's right yeah, that's nice. right
0: uh, would have had some speedweek stuff in it probably and and i'd done maybe one job for channel 10 that was powerboat based so i think mike had seen a, a little something Anyway, uh met with him. It went well. He referred me to Tim and Fran Jardine, who you brought up before, who I've been working for on and off now for 23 years. Um, they'd worked with DIFF prior to that. It was very much modelled on the British Touring Car Championship coverage. It was really slick, really good. Great learning environment for me with good people. Um, I would pair in that first year, I think it was with uh, with Murph
1: and- oh, um, Nah now. Oh, I've got my my use wrong. So 1997 was the first year. Andy Raymond? Andy Raymond was briefly involved for a few rounds. Mark Fogarty was involved there for a little while as well.
0: Now now you're showing Uh, that I can't recall stuff.
1: But Murph came along. It was the you and Murph show the next year in in 98, for a memory.
0: That's right. Mm -hmm. So uh, the the link I'm bringing up here with Andy Raymond, he and I went to the same primary school in Sydney. Really? Uh, At the same time? uh, He was one year below me. Where I used to live at the, when I, where I was growing up in Sydney at the time, the Romans were in, were in that area. Andy, I can always remember Andy rocking up to school because he was doing BMX back then and, and they had a BMX track at Liverpool Speedway and things. And he had a, either a Kurahara or a Mongoose BMX bike. And I used oh. to look at that thing and go, man, that's the dream I machine. <laughs> I want one of those things. <laughs> so here at me, he's gone on to do some awesome stuff at Fox now. And, and, um, anyway, so we got, to, he and I got to work together, which I thought was really cool. Um, I don't think I was great at it to begin with
1: uh, Why? Uh, 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 because that was a that was a calling role, wasn't it and, it, but, was. But it was it's very different when you post produce commentate and when we talk about post yeah. yeah so so in essence, what the racings occurred on one weekend, the editors have gone away they've cut it all together to make it look the best it can look you can make yep. a bad race look good uh, or a good race look great yeah, but then as the commentator, you're rolling in the next week or the next weekend or whatever it is. And commentating a race you already know what happens in and how it happens yeah. and what happens to who. So the great skill is kind of to not be too presumptuous but to also not appear to be completely oblivious. Yeah, that's right. That's And to make it fit a hole because an in-car camera pops up or a, a cut to an interview or a, whatever it is, it's actually a really it's an art, difficult it's thing an art. to do to get your head around yeah. because um, it's like constantly having a time gun at your head going, Twenty-three seconds here now. Talk ten yep. seconds here now. Yep. Talk five seconds. No, not five point one five. It's, and and it's, the it's line, actually really hard to do
0: the line between where you're going here, between spontaneity and and it's hard it, it, being informative slash authentic. It's very. It's not. It's not easy to do. So um, I learned a lot in in that period, and a lot of it was to do with just being kind of comfortable in your own skin. You don't need yeah. to act that stuff out. You don't need to – the more natural you can be, and that comes with time because, you you know, you're on camera, you're uh, – yeah, just just being being a bit more relaxed about it over time, that that changes things, yeah.
1: What's the standout memory from that little super – It was only a couple of years, I, I, actually. I went – you'll love this. Yeah. You'll love, the, we uh, want to. Uh, uh, so <clears throat> Timmy Jardine was
0: always thinking cutting edge, whether it's graphics, music – Um,
1: And he runs a production company in Sydney Sydney called Z Space, which we we should mention. And they've been around the sport for a very long time. They produced the big screen at the Melbourne Grand Prix and in Singapore as well. Uh, But in that era, they were were doing super Super touring. touring. Just to put a bit of um, background around who Tim is and where he fits in the pictures. So he, he
0: says to me at one stage, we'd love you to host the opening in car with Brad Jones at Phillip Island in the Audi. And I said, that'd be awesome. Like just, you know, here am I trying to memorise lines and things. But really, I was just excited about going for a ride in this race car. So, Bardley uh, gives it heaps. And uh, away we go. We're all mic'd up, wired up, and we were we were coming um, over the top of Lukey down into MG corner. and He spun it, <laughs> <laughs> so we had to do a, we had to do a take two. And I, uh, I've, I've wound him a couple of times about that in the in the years gone by. So there's some great things that we we were able to do, even though it was post produced, and a lot of those learnings
1: still serve me to this day. I reckon like we will find that take. The take. <laughs> no, no, for him, not for you. <laughs> yeah. We'll get back to the podcast in just a moment, but I wanted to tell you about our good friends at Timken, a world leader in bearings and mechanical power transmission products and services. Now, you might know their name and recognize their logo, but did you know that Timken products have been to the surface of Mars? It's true. Timken partnered with NASA to design and develop bearings for its Mars rover missions, Spirit, Opportunity and Curiosity, as well as for NASA's next scheduled mission to the red planet that's set to blast off in July 2020. The Curiosity rover used Timken bearings in its descent to the planet, as well as in the carousel system that positions the rover's sample cups for gathering and analysing rock, soil and atmosphere, plus two bearings that run the vacuum pump that supports the rover's analytical equipment, Those bearings are just 6.35 millimetres, yes, millimetres in size, and they rotate at 100,000 RPM. It's amazing. We'll bring you some more cool facts about Timken in each episode of the V8 Sloop podcast this year, but now it's back to the podcast. So at that time, V8 supercars had just gone to Channel Ten yep. after many many years on Seven. Yep. The Super Touring stuff was being broadcast on Ten, in essence supplied to them by a production company. But of course, Super Touring was becoming Bathurst for the traditional Channel Seven one thousand k race. Do you remember the political gunfight at the time being yeah, pretty good, or did you have to keep? Your, it didn't really affect oh, you. Oh no, and you kept no. Your head no. Out of well,
0: because. Um in '98, an opportunity opened up to do some pit reporting for the supercars,
1: for the Enduros. For the Enduros, me?
0: that's yeah. right. So um, that was a delicate path to to walk along, um, and then I, it came to a point where I kind of had to make a choice, really, about which way I was going to going to go with it. Um, and the other part made that was hard in all of that is that that you know Johnny Smiles was was pit reporter mm. in '97. And I'd had some dealings with Will Hagen with the um, with the bike GP, and I was very conscious of those guys being, you know, like a generation prior, and being very respectful. And you know, I, I effectively took over from Smilesy on in the, the pit reporting role. So that was, you know, that was tricky. But to this day, with both of them, I have an excellent relationship, and and the learning for me with them was about always trying to, with young guys like you, Richard Crowell, you know, um, Matt Nolte, whoever, was always working with them. Not I didn't want to put a border up type deal. Because so,
1: someone's um, going to find a way to... Yeah, but it's just life,
0: mate. You know, people will get that opportunity and they rightly, if they've done the hard yards, they rightly should mm. get that opportunity, mm. so... Um, so yeah, the, the, it opened um, my eyes to. I can remember I'd been with AJ at at Channel Nine not more than whatever it was two years prior, and on the grid at Sandown in '98, something happened with his Falcon. I it want went to say about that, three meters. Yeah, did they, they, they the diff go Yeah, or exactly, like exactly. Yeah. So yeah. I get dispatched to to go and interview him. And he was bright red, and he just gave it to me. It was like you can f off, you know. If you if you think, you know, da-da-da-da. and I was like, "Where's the guy I was commentating uh, I with?" We were just, good. Yeah, correct, correct. <laughs> and you know who solved it for me? Baz. Baz walked straight up me. go, oh, AJ, just take it easy, mate. He's just doing his job, right? You know, like, and, and he completely smoothed the waters. And AJ was, you know, it was just
1: in the heat of you the moment. You just got him on the was, wrong time. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So th- that was now. We're long beyond working at the bank. Yep. So we are now full time with Channel Ten at this point. Uh, or are you still doing other things to keep uh, yourself busy? I, I think I stopped
0: doing the finance stuff when I largely committed to super touring. So in '97, mm. I, I um, what I was juggling with then, which was again another great um, learner and and you know something to help shape you as a broadcaster. Uh, David Tap at the time was the head of sport at Two GB in Sydney. Mm-hmm. So I was super touring on, you know, certain weekends, which he was more than happy for me to go off and pursue. The rest of the time I was doing uh, reading sport news for them, occasionally some around the grounds rugby league reporting and AFL and other bits and pieces. I can recall my old man ringing me at one point in time. His best mate in Sydney had been listening to 2GB and he rang dad and he says, what the hell does Greg know about rugby league? <laughs> 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 so um, so there's all, all of that stuff. And by the end of the, the tenure that I had with GB, it, it sort of all, lined up mate I ended up starting at 10 in 2000 and I was there for whatever it was 14 years with them but um with GB in the end I uh I mean, I was reading daytime news for them I worked with some terrific people the the head of news now at channel 7 Jason Morrison uh, David Spears uh, Paul Murray I mean all of those guys were in the office then and to learn from them um it was exceptional
1: yeah is that we give you shit all the time yeah. about your broadcasting voice <laughs> and your very straight delivery sometimes? Yeah, yeah. Is it the background in radio and the voice training that you had back in the day? What creates that? You a, think a, a bit of that, a bit of that. I try and I try. More we know you have for... a bloody good sense of humor. We yeah. just need to keep needling you. All yeah, the time to do it, it rather yeah, than yeah, being so serious. Yeah.
0: I'm a serious cat by nature, mate. I, I um, very mindful of the fact that it's someone else's train set. I want to do a good job with it. I, I'm making a contribution to it. I'm fundamentally a worker, not a not a. I hate. Yeah, I don't like that shit, mate. I really hate it. And and to this day, all the people behind the scenes, I can I can nearly name them all. You know, from from you know the team in audio to those that work in the truck, the car, I mean, they're, they're friends, they're proper mm. friends. Mm. So yeah,
1: you mentioned just quickly before about two thousand, and, and that's when the ten thing starts. Yep. So this is one thing I've always wanted to sit down and talk to you about because I don't think I ever really have, whether yep. it's a microphone or not a microphone. So in two thousand, yep. yep, you get the gig as the voice of V eight supercars on the ten yep. network. You are the commentator along with I think Mark Osler was in the box with Baz. you, and Baz was around at the time, and of yep. course. Cromley was racing. He was with yep. Ford Tickford for for Glenn Seton at the time. Yeah. So you've got the holy grail gig here. Yeah. Do you remember the phone call, the meeting, the whole right? Oh, mate, you're in. Do yeah, you I remember do. that vividly? Yeah,
0: I do. Um, I can recall even David White, my my boss at the time. He he, mate, has been my best boss. We of need all to get time. him on this podcast. Yeah, he's a terrific when he's in the country. Knows. Um, you know, I can even recall him eyeballing me saying. You've got your work cut out for you, Gregory, but it's a great opportunity. Kind of grab it with both hands. He was an awesome boss because, as you know, mate, he properly understood motor racing. He'd worked his way through television from um, – we, we went once on a trip to the Nürburgring and we did some stuff for RPM and the like and he came with us and uh, he took a camera and went out and filmed some stuff for us for a story on one of the corners. David White, he's, physics, he's the there. head of sport. He's the head of sport at the time. And, and, he, was there and, on and camera. he was just into it, absolutely <laughs> into it. He had an SLR 5000 that that you'd have to ask him this on your on your podcast here, but but it's its lineage or its heritage, I think, was an early test mule for the dealer, dealer team or Colin something. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they did a lot of, lot of homework on that, and Gary Rogers did a great resto on it. So I mean to have him. A excellent tele- television knowledge, B proper motor racing knowledge that's um, you, know, you could argue that's good and bad. Uh, it, the, the great thing about it was that um, you know you know in a motor racing sense he only wanted to showcase it the best way possible, but you couldn't couldn't sit back on your on your yeah. laurel. So I can recall the phone call, yes, uh, largely dealt with Mike audsent in the, in the early part of that. And um, and it opened up a whole world of of things for me. It al- it also was a, a great life learner, mate. There was a couple of moments there that were, you know, I didn't uh, I didn't do a good enough job with some things. I don't, I don't think. Um, what, what what things? Well, I mean, if you look at the fact that at the end of two thousand, it, it you know, I'd called Bathurst and and uh, I'd had a big year there. Cromley's life was in a racing sense was changing, so I I kind of stepped out of that role into a, a pit reporting role for two thousand and one and ironically I found a little a little home for myself. You know, so I had to have an awkward phone call with David White about that
1: and in the in essence you're being moved. Oh, pretty much. Yeah. 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 Um, because Cromley had left Glenn Seaton's team yeah. to sign with Gibson Motorsport with Craig Lowndes. However the plan was two cars, but they didn't have two cars. Yeah,
0: and they, you could you couldn't have a guy like him on the sidelines, mate. That that's you know, he's just too good. You need mm. him involved in the broadcast in some way. So, uh, I'm a huge believer in life. When those things happen, a what is the contribution that you made to it? A bit of navel gazing, and secondly, it's all about how you deal with it. You know, if you. You can just keep focusing on the the negative or, or what's gone wrong, but I'm ice I'm forward. I just wanted to grab the pit reporting thing, some RPM stuff, and and you know I did things like, um, uh, you know I pulled some twenty four hour shifts on on occasion for RPM. I just immersed myself in it, so uh, it taught it taught me a lot. A few crazy things happened in that period as well, like um, like nine eleven. I was so going to talk to you about that. Yeah, yeah, that's on the list. Yeah, I'm, I'm jumping around here. So no, no, no. Sorry. That's what we
1: do on this pod. But what, what did you? What did you take away and go right? I'd have done that different. I'll do that better. Yep. That was pretty good. Yep. What did you take? I mean, this is 20 years. So ago. 20 mate. years ago. It's scary. yeah
0: Yeah. I just. Um, I'm not great with politics. I don't do. I don't do politics. I'm, I'm, I'm a worker, right? Um, and to a fault. That's mm. to a fault. You do need to have a bit of that. Now, that awareness, and in, in, you know it's a tough game. It is a tough game, but if you're not prepared to to play hard and and to work hard, then you shouldn't be shouldn't be there. So, um, I just think I learned a lot about about myself, about uh, what I could do better myself. And you know, you talked about being captain serious before and shit like mm. that. I still have that element to me, but I'm a bit more I'm a uh, bit more relaxed heaps, now. Heaps. Yeah, heaps. yeah, and and that that's. Helped along the yeah. way too, I think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: You've already segued me to the next bit anyway, yeah. which yeah. is kind of a skill that guests have when they can get <laughs> you the next bit and I don't have to get us to the next bit. And you mentioned it, nine eleven, 11 So 2001, yep. which anyone watching at the time or clicking in on their telly yep. that night will never forget what they saw. Were you at 10 News? Yeah, I was, mate. I How was, did it turn out that saw, you were there to start I, I, with? I'd been
0: doing some stuff for Sports Tonight, so yeah. I was doing reporting and – various bits and pieces. Mate, I have I, I've, uh, I can recall reporting on John Hoppawati on, on <laughs> was, the- Was this re- at the time at of the v famous the, 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 Right, yeah, okay. Uh, okay. Yep. We won't go uh, any that, further with that. Let's not go into that. So I did that at, at NRL headquarters and all sorts of things. But anyway, I was in there one night. We had just about wrapped up Sports Tonight um, or, or the, the, the pre-production for it. Sandra Sully was at the host desk. She's doing the news. And I walked past an area of the newsroom that they call News Exchange and and that is effectively like a, a little room with huge banks of monitors and there's feeds coming in from all around the world, you know, Reuters and might be CNN and all that sort of mm. stuff. And invariably there's someone in there keeping an eye on all that stuff and, and you can, they can switch to it live, you can go and record it, you could do whatever mm. back then, you know, on tape back then it was. And uh, I walked past and the guy who was running News Exchange and he was quite ashen-faced and, and I said, what's up, mate? And he said to me... I think I just saw a plane go into the World Trade Center. And I said, what? And the producer who was looking after news for Sandra Sully was really good, straight onto it. And he'd he gone to live pictures. Mm.
1: I remember watching this at so, the, yeah, the time. Yeah. On yes. 10. She, she was, yeah.
0: Sandra was excellent. So, she starts ad-libbing and dealing with what's unfolding. My phone then rings – you've got to remember that everything's starting to clear out for the night. Most mm. of the staff are started – it's only skeleton staff that are left. And the producer said to me, have you been watching this? And I said, yes. He goes, start recording everything now. So I start recording everything and and logging it, you know, time codes for different things. And then the newsroom came alive again. People started coming back in. Jason Morrison came back in. And um, so a few of them came to me and said, have you watched all of this? And I said, Yes. And they said, "Right, we're going to do a bulletin at 6 a.m. in the morning with Ronnie Wilson. Special, special one. Um, we want you to do a story, a five-minute encapsulation of everything that's unfolded.
1: Oh, if you've just woken up, correct. And no he- idea what's here's unfolded. What's, here's what's yeah.
0: going on. So, I um, I start piecing that that together. I work the whole the whole night through. I can recall leaving a message on, I reckon, on Murph's voicemail." Saying, "Dude, you got to, you got to get up. This is like World War Three and I rang my wife at the time was in Korea, and so I can recall she was a couple of hours behind us. So I rang her as well and had a conversation with her because I it just, to me, it was surreal, mate. Oh, I couldn't, yeah, yeah. So uh, anyway, I, I did the yarn. You know, we were you know thousands of k's away from where it really was was unfolding. And years later, I went on a in twenty fifteen I think or twenty sixteen I went on a family holiday and went to. Uh, you know, where Ground Zero mm-hmm. now is and the memorial that's there and one of the most moving things I've been to. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Let's wrap it up a bit and yeah, get okay. back into yeah, things. Yeah. I know we've, uh, we've gone yeah. to some, some, some sad stuff, but how on earth <laughs> did Rusty's Garage start? Now, look, yeah. normally a podcast doesn't plug or mention another podcast, yeah. but that's not us. Okay. How is it that you end up doing a podcast before anybody else comes along and does a podcast to, to become be, let's let's face uh, it, the preeminent automotive uh, podcast uh, uh, of Australia. I I love it, mate. I just
0: The genesis for it was probably in some which you were involved in, in some conversations I had at Fox uh in twenty seventeen. They wanted long form interviews mm. for inside supercar, so I did one with Scotty McLaughlin, one with Craig Lowndes, one with Marcus Ambrose. Um, I'm missing someone there. There's first four. did a couple do, I can't four, remember the name. Four, right? four, yeah, we shared the two. We up shared Dave yeah, Correct, did, yeah. correct. And, and I, I and, but they
1: weren't. They were long form, but not long, long form. No, they were probably we, 15, 20 minutes. Maybe. Yeah, but yeah. but I mean, they often got cut down to seven, eight minutes. Yeah. And and but, but they we were, got some good stuff. We got, out got some of these great guys. stuff. Yeah. Some
0: great stuff. And I loved doing that. And at the time, I had started to have some conversations with a a podcast house or podcast one that they were looking for something automotive or, or racer based. Uh, you know, we workshopped at, You know, whiteboards and ideas and. Anyway, so I, we went away and said, let's record one and see what happens. So my my uh, first experiment was Molly Taylor. So we sat down. Molly know, Taylor Molly was Taylor, the guinea r- pig for champion. You know Exactly. Yep. So we must have sat down, mate. For, I owe her massively. <laughs> we must have sat down for two or three hours in Sydney at a, at a studio and had a fantastic conversation, left at that, walked away, pulled it to bits, that worked, that didn't work, blah, 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 blah. And then I went back and recorded it with her again, Oh, but I changed it up. I went to um, where their family live uh, in-, in Sydney. Her um, dad loves cars, mate. He's a, mm. he's a rally driver and he's got some great things in the shed, some funky stuff too. And uh, she and her mum... Own uh, an Audi Quattro that yeah. used to be owned by Kerry Packer. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Tr- you know, Packer, I think, saw it at the motor show at the time and said, How
1: much for that? You know? <laughs> I'll have six. Exactly. And they <laughs> said, No, no, Mr.
0: Packer, it's not for sale. It's got to go back to Germany. Yeah, how much? Yeah. You know? And, he, <laughs> and it stayed. It stayed. So they owned that car. So I thought, why? What better way to do it than go out and do the chat in amongst the cars? And, and away it went. And it was terrific. So. As you and I sit here, mate, it's just about to turn two years old. It has probably a racer skew at times because of what you and I love. Um, But the thing that it – coming back to the Fox example, I loved unmasking the athlete a bit or unmasking the driver and, and tapping into the common thing, which you do so well here at Sleuth headquarters, mate, and that is the great cars over history or the cars that they have or bikes that they have, good or bad, Been with plenty of shitters. Exactly, (laughs) plenty of shitters, plenty plenty of things that have gone wrong with them and and talking about some of that stuff. So it it is, for me, as much a human thing
1: as about the car or bike as well. Has it been a good outlet Obviously, the television stuff changed in your world, yep. so you could sink your teeth into this a bit harder because, A, it's yours, which is yep. always handy, yep. um, B, your world changed, but it gives you that flexibility. I mean, uh, one of the things I find difficult in my world here, and I'm interested in your take, is when you're running – in essence, I run a business. Not, it's not just me here. There's other people here as well. So I f- find myself spending more and more time running the business, doing the deals, wheeling and dealing, all that sort of stuff – but to do the actual sit-down chats is now even better than it's ever been so c- because rewarding. it's the only thing I get to do that is, for want of a better term, content creation. Mm. Um, I don't get to do much of it anymore. So when we do get to do it, it's actually really nice because it's the 5% of everything else that's all the, – that well, not the tough yards but the stuff that you would – rather not be doing you'd rather be doing this all the time but how has it been in your world for, for we're in, we're in sync here mate because it's the two things
0: a it's immensely rewarding and B it's yours mm. right mm. so you know media in the levels that you and I have played with either at network or sport or whatever it takes a an army of people you know these things are very a small group you and will or or um you know if there's a bit of production involved in the background it's the same for me it's a Mm. very small tight team and and i like that you know i I do everything from you know writing the intros and voicing them i've got a little voiceover setup that i use for that um i love the input and and the two guys that i work with uh behind the scenes are into it as much as i am so that helps immensely and we're always thinking of people to go and speak to and it's funny how it changes the first i don't know six or so episodes you know i was like can i get you to come on can i get you to come on and now it's 180 Everyone's you know yeah, which is yeah. which is great and, and lots of feedback from listeners to wanting you know people that you mightn't expect and it's as you have come to understand here because you do such a good job of it it's not always the champions the champions have that that Lure because of what they've achieved, but it's often the good storytellers, mate, and the things they've, you know, you can unlock with them.
1: Yeah, the people who people might not really know or know, they vaguely know the person, but they don't know the story. Whereas with some of the big names, you've kind of heard everything there is to hear. So yeah. between us and all the other ones out there, there's still a whole pile of paddocks heaps, for us to, to, to mow through and and, and search, but let's yep. just talk before we go and <laughs> double up on anybody, shall <laughs> <sure. laughs> <laughs> we? got this week? got this week? <laughs> hey, one of the things I wanted to check with you too, and it, I've deliberately not asked you about some of these things in the last yep. six to 12 months because I wanted to save them all up for here, and that's not to launch them upon you, but yep. it's more to have the chat here rather than try to do it twice over. In 2006, Channel 10 finished up with the rights to supercars and Channel 7 came back on the the landscape for for 2007, which also at the same time saw the introduction of what was then called V8 Supercar Television. I think it's now technically known as Supercars Media. That is the arm within supercars that produces the broadcasts at the moment for Fox Sports and Network 10, previously for for Channel 7. Am I right or wrong? You turned down a deal to go with seven in '07. I have the contract to this day. I have the paperwork. I've kept it. So you know, I need to thank you here. Uh, that's good, mate. That, that, no, no that, because you didn't go, and that, so I've that gave not, me a gig. Well,
0: and and similarly, we probably both need to thank David White because what David White did for me was to give right. me great opportunity with MotoGP, with Formula One, with and then even. When D Dub left and David Barham came, I mean, I got to do Com Games and Winter Olympics and things. So, so if I'd gone, maybe I wouldn't have had that opportunity. So, yeah. um, so
1: it, were, would it have been? So I ended up calling supports. Yeah. and did a little bit of pit lane because Grant Daniel went to race. uh oh, who did he drive for in the Enduros? A uh, WPS. Yep. So he picked up a deal there. So yep. that took him out for the Enduros, and it put. A very lanky, young, silly Ballarat boy in the lane. So two Ballarat people, Crompton and I both, we actually figured out in the last year or two, yep. his mum lives five minutes from my <laughs> dad. It took us I all these it. years to I figure it out. It. It's silly, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. um, so that was the gig you turned out. I did, yeah. yeah. And, and it was, uh, uh, I'd have to go back
0: and look at it, but at largely what you're describing, mainly pit reporting, I, I had by the time uh, you know that that whole period through to the end of 06 I, I was sort of cemented there and really really enjoyed that stuff and and it expanded into sort of gold coast indie and
1: and um so did you did you go close did, what did you, mean? you go did you go close to go yeah i did i did, did i mean course?
0: i uh i was very uncomfortable having conversations about it i just didn't think that was i didn't have an agent then so um I didn't like that side of it. I'd, I'd rather just... Well, you, know, where you're
1: busy working for one, mob, but and you're talking to the other about I, I, the next step.
0: I'm, I'm, by and large, a loyal guy, you know. And so, my loyalty was torn there because, you know, you'd go to whatever. Well, this is hypothetical. I can't remember. But, but you'd go to Supercars headquarters to do a story because you're still in the midst of what you're doing for Channel 10 and people are wanting to talk to you about, hey, do you want to mm. come next year? And I was very... I, I didn't like that. But the loyalty is split, Aaron, because on the one half, I... I, I The people in that supercars paddock I considered family, the Mm. the constituents, Mm. I felt like family. So, part of me was like, I don't want to miss that. But at the same time, what David offered me was too too good to knock back. It was hard to begin with. I can remember getting a message from someone at Adelaide in 07. And, you know, RPM still existed back then and we were chasing different yarns. But you felt a little bit... One eight, eight, out, one wide. One wide yeah. As far as supercars was concerned, but what David very cleverly did was was do things where we would go to international Formula One or MotoGP races, and you so you ended up doing things that, in a career sense, were better for you. And and he gave you a, a chance to go. I mean, I went to the British Grand Prix, mate. I, I just mm. I
1: loved which you wouldn't have been able to correct. do if you were doing the other correct. things. So yeah. it it's, swings it's, around. They, about, they were it? Uh, it was meant to be stuff. Mm. Yep. Mm caber tossing never came under <laughs> the radar or?
0: I, I have commentated some caber tossing what? <laughs> no not, oh, not for television I, 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 not for
1: television if yeah. it's not for television no. what's it for <laughs> it was over the PA keep going right Okay. <laughs> oh, I thought I had a nugget No nuggets I, I know you've spoken about Barry Sheen with Billy Woods on yes. your podcast yeah. is there a Barry story or something else that you might not have wheeled out somewhere along wow. the line Uh
0: sugar he was an unbelievable human being, mate. He,
1: he could get away with anything. He could get away Seriously. with anything.
0: I, I think I recounted it with Billy, so forgive me if I'm telling the story again for your, your audience. But we drove into the Adelaide 500 one day, and uh, he goes, Baz was big on getting as close as he could to where he had to, he didn't, he didn't want to walk <laughs> miles, he didn't want to do walking. Well,
1: when, you, when your legs have been so badly Correct.
0: busted in motorbikes over the years, that's fair call. Cool. First time I ever met him, when I went to his house, he um he, he trusts to come in the office, so I, I go into the office, and he had a, a metal boot, and he just upended it, and all these screws and bolts and plates and everything came out. And he goes, "That was all what was inside me," kind of Ooh. thing, you know. It's like it's just it's like this, and he kept it all. And around in in his house, he didn't really have much in the way of artwork. He had um pictures. It was all pictures of things from his life and time, racing and friends and George Harrison and. You know, people like that, and he kept some cool bikes from his time, and some of those are being restored actually mm. at the moment. They're, they're, which I think is terrific to preserve all that stuff. But anyway, he, he was amazing. We 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 drove into Adelaide, and you know, you can go underneath the main street, and you can pop up behind the the pit garages. Excuse me, and uh, on that side of it, there is some exclusive parking from Premier to Tony Cochrane to whoever it was back you, then. You know, big wig. You got to be wig. big wig. Yeah. So he just motors in, and parks it straight <laughs> in the Premier's spot, and goes. He won't be here today. We'll be sweet, you know. So he he would talk to my mum on the phone when we were driving back from a race meeting. Oh, hello, Anne. How are you, darling? You know, and and um, but just an amazing guy with what you you got. What you saw. Um, we we once, mate. I don't know if I've ever told this story. We were at Bathurst one year, and and um, it was Sunday night, and and. Baz loved to laugh but there must have been a line and Diff Diff started chucking everything on Baz's hotel bill right oh, no. so on the Monday oh, no. on the Monday Baz goes to check out and it's you know insane the, the the number and he knew straight away who it was and he came up and he called him and he goes I'm all for a laugh, but that's going too far. And, and Diff was kind of, you know, a bit – but uh, and then that was it, dude. There was nothing – he and Diff were best mates that you just had his say and he
1: got it off his chest and that was it. That he yeah. paid the bill. Yeah. <laughs> Did you, – you segued me again without yeah. even trying. Diffy. Yeah. Diffie. yeah. Have we got a Diffy story. Wasn't there a, a – remind me, was it a weekend <laughs> at Ipswich? We were out there for a supercars round and this is in the days – uh, where 10 were covering. He was still yep. here before he went. Uh, yep. you know, he'd been away and come back. And didn't he go and do some dirt bike, celeb mini motorbike race, and he
0: fell off and snapped his leg? Bang on. So yeah. he, he was great mates with Phil Christensen, who ran the, the forerunner to what we now think of as the SX Open, mm. X Open. So... Uh Christo had a round of the Supercross Masters it was back then at at in Brisbane. And he he did that occasionally where they would coincide with a V8 round. Makes and then sense. On, on the Saturday night, a couple of the boys would go yeah. and they'd do a celebrity posty bike race or something stupid in there and ham it up and have some fun. And Daz Darrell Beattie always used to whine diff about his motorcycle riding. They they'd known each other. Uh, I can't remember the club. I don't know there's Ipswich Club or wherever it was, but they used to ride together when they were youngsters. The pair of them. Daz won his first bike on Aggro's cartoon connection. That's how <laughs> that's it all. True. That's how it all started for him.
1: Aggro's still going.
0: Aggro's still going, and and uh, I've I've not asked him about it, but I think Daz has tracked that bike down too. So, oh really, which is really Ooh, a cool. A bit of bike sleuth. A bit of yeah. Um. So anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> something really simple like he was coming across a, a jump and he went to put his foot down to balance, you know, a, a potential fall, and it just snapped his leg, mate. Ooh. So, he ends up in hospital. Um, I don't think they were too impressed at 10. Imagine at the, at the, the phone call. Oh, it wasn't good. It wasn't, right. good, wasn't good. But luckily, he had some painkiller on board, so I think that's sort of- The green whistle. Yeah, yeah, that, that's Sitting right. Flying. And uh, anyway, I got shuffled the next day. Crompo and I ended up calling it to, together, and and um,
1: yeah, yeah, it was very cool. And no one was ever allowed to do a posty bike challenge. I, I don't know if it ever day. got- no, I better not say it.
0: Baz did some funny commentary one day, and I can never
1: remember if it got
0: edited out or not. We were at Queensland Raceway, and someone someone in the centre of the paperclip, I want to say, had late-braked and and absolutely gone straight up the back of the car in front.
1: I'll tell you, he's absolutely charging at the moment. He's Craig Lowndes. He went right back to 24th position. He's up to seventh. He has been absolutely storming through the pack. Oh, yeah, up the inside of Greg Murphy. Greg Murphy. Former teammates, former Bathurst. Oh. <laughs> That's called a sump in the rump, I think that they maybe him. call it. What up the rectum, don't affect him.
0: The producers and everyone were diving on the, on the, on the road. Barry, you yeah, yeah. can't say that, you know. <laughs>
1: And he was laughing. He was laughing. I can imagine. Because the famous Lowndes Calder Park Rollover, where Craig goes down on his head, what, six, seven, eight times, Larry Perkins ends up checking out the underside of HRT Commodore, (laughs) and he can hear, oh, he actually pulls himself up, Barry, from dropping a shit bomb on on Channel 10 (laughs) while Lowndes is barrel rolling down the road. It's probably as much as the the crash was a big crash, that's the bit that I probably remember, which is when you hang off the television coverage as a young bloke, it's those things that you remember that you can- uh, so The commentary is so out.
0: unique, mate, and probably couldn't be done anymore. No. Now, Now the way we're so informed with everything and, and people don't like necessarily the over sort of sell or, or, or over hype, but, but what Braz, Baz brought to it, mate, I mean, I often think now, he's been gone since 03, what would he be doing now? Would he be still being managed by Coco? Would he be oh. around supercars? Would he, you know, be, he's in his 60s, so- what what would he be doing? And he made it, we embraced him. He was he was very much a part of the Supercars family. He used to do, I told this with Billy too, we, we had to do some international hostings because back then Supercars were marketing it to all these different nations, some cut-downs. Mm. So Baz knew like five different languages. So he would go and we'd pick different drivers and they'd do it like a little opening hosting thing and off we'd go for highlights of, of Winton. And I reckon at Winton he was with his good mate Russell Engle and he was teaching Russell... Portuguese or Spanish or something or other to, you know, (laughs) hello and welcome and, and, you know, this is Winton Supercars. And we were never sure whether he was saying, you know, "Eh, and don't forget to wash your balls or something. (laughs) You never
1: knew knew what was going away with it. It was awesome. So that's part one of our chat with Greg Rust on the V8 Sleuth podcast powered by Timken. Now stay tuned for part two because he opens up about a major health scare he had back in 2011 plus the chance meeting it led to And Rusty also tackles your National Motor Racing Museum Couch Racer questions. And we put him up against the clock in our traditional motor-focused Top 10 shootout. If you're enjoying the V8 Sleuth podcast, make sure to leave us a review to help spread the word. And don't forget to subscribe to make sure that you don't miss any episodes as they come out. They'll be coming out almost every week throughout 2020, even as we bunker down amid COVID-19. Now, if you're looking for a bit of reading material at home, we're having a stock take sale in the V8 Sleuth online bookshop. If you haven't picked up a copy of Cars of the King or The Falcon Files or the illustrated history book of Ford at Bathurst or the official book of the 2018 Bathurst 1001 by Craig Lowndes and Steve Richards, head to V8sleuth.com.au and click on Bookshop to snap yourself up a bargain. And sign up too to the V8 Sleuth newsletter while you're at it and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram so you don't miss out on any new offers or products as they pop up. Until then, we'll catch you next time on the V8 Sleuth Podcast, powered by Timken.
0: Every lap in under a minute. Every move made to matter. Every decision impacting the outcome of the race. Supercars in Perth. Every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint. May 17 to 19. Book now at Attack.
1: Supercars. Unforgettable. Australian Muscle Car Magazine is one of the most respected voices in motoring media. There's been over 140 issues and thousands of stories published in the last 22 years. From the amazing muscle car machines of the past to the present and the stars that steered and built them. AMC has something for everyone. Delve into the heritage of homegrown high performance now at musclecarmag.com.au.